so many times songs tie in beautifully with uh, the thoughts that I share with you from God's Word. And especially today, the fact that He is willing to be a Savior for us, that that is uh, just glorious. But what also we will see today, what He has in store, is incredible. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 18. We're in the midst of a prayer that Paul started in verse number 15. And he mentions that he, he, having heard of the faith of the Ephesians, the love that they had for the saints, he says, I I can't stop giving thanks and praying for you. And he says, especially in verse 17 and 18, this is his request, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's key to this whole understanding, this passage. We need a knowledge of Him, don't we? A greater knowledge of Him. And uh, that is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and I would say it's the prayer we have for uh, this fellowship as well, that we get a greater knowledge of Him. And when we start to understand these things, uh, verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. We're in the middle of that request there in verse 18. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And it's a huge topic. So we need to get started on this, and first we're going to ask for our help. Heavenly Father, Again, we come to you so thankful. How many times, Lord, year, week after week and year after year have we approached your throne and said, Lord, help us to understand this passage that sets before us. And you have been so gracious to guide us carefully in it, to do work in our hearts, to understand it, and also to conform to the plan that you have. We certainly know, Lord, that you are at work in our midst and And uh, we thank you, Lord, for that. And once again, we come before you as just those who are hungry for your your word, those who uh, are eager for your work to be done in us. As your children, we just come before our Father and ask that you might meet our needs, especially as we study this passage. Challenge us with it and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we talked about what is the hope of our calling. And uh, that is something we need to know because it's something we have. We have this. We've been given this. The hope of His calling. This week, we want to know what He has. And that's what the center section of these three, uh, what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of, of his inheritance in the saint, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. We're right in the middle of that, and and, uh, today we'll discover what he has. I try to picture at time the scenes in the gospel 
uh, events as the disciples followed Christ around from place to place as they were able to witness incredible miracles, uh, to hear incredible teaching. This morning I had uh, my audio Bible playing on the uh, Sermon on the Mount while I was eating breakfast and picturing the folks sitting there uh, listening to Jesus talk to them about who are the blessed ones. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. And throughout that passage, and I try to think my way back into that. And of course, um, the movies have helped in that because I always picture it, you know, with uh, the same backdrops that I've seen in, you know, uh, Ben-Hur or uh, the... the uh, uh, which one? The Ten Commandments or something like that. I always got these pictures in my mind that, you know, someday when we see the video in heaven, which I always think uh, it's a CD now or a DVD or something, but uh, uh, when we see that, we might be totally amazed that we are so off <laughs> in our, our comprehension. But as I try to picture that, I picture that day where the, the disciples walked with Jesus out toward um, the mount as he is about to ascend send into heaven, and he's speaking to them, and, and I'm assuming that they had no clue what was just about to happen, that he would be speaking and all of a sudden just start rising up into the clouds and be gone from their view. But as he starts to speak to them and, and uh, share with them, the last words that he would speak to them in Matthew chapter 28 he says these words, if you follow along, Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. These are the things he says. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You've heard those words before. Many times we focus right in the middle of that. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And it works pretty good at a missions conference or an evangelistic conference uh, uh, to recite those words and say, go and make disciples of all the nations. But what's interesting in this passage, he starts with the fact that all authority has been given to me. And that's really the key to the passage. All authority has been given to me. Exousia is the Greek word. I like that word. It just sounds fun to say. Exousia. That's the, the word for authority. It, it speaks of uh, influence. It speaks of the right to, or the privilege to do such a thing, to, to rule or to govern. It speaks of a power that you can command and others must submit and obey. And this is what Jesus said. All authority, all authority, all influence, all right of privilege, all power of rule or government, the power that Jesus had, 
whose will and commands must be submitted to, must be obeyed. This is the, the word he's using here. All authority has been given to me. And I think of that in a, in a context such as um, evangelism. We're, we're called, as we use this passage for such things like that, we're called to go out and speak the gospel. People hear the gospel and they respond and they become disciples of Christ. And we're to teach them, we're to, to uh, uh, bring them to understand the things of the Lord and, and nurture them in that. He, he, tells, he tells us to go. But who has the influence to save? Is it our words? Is it our influence that he sends us out with? It's his. This is why it's key to the passage. When we just think of evangelism, Jesus says, Mine is the influence to save souls and change lives. Mine is the privilege to save souls and change lives. Mine is the power to save souls and change lives. Mine is the will to save souls and change lives. Mine is the command that you go. Go. And while you're going, oh, don't forget, I'm always with you. Think of the picture here. We go. All we need is Christ. Because the authority is His. The Word is His. Salvation is His. He bought it. He gives it. He changes lives. You know how easy our job looks all of a sudden? He just said, go. Who's doing the work? He is. Isn't that incredible when you look at it that way? You say, wow, that's bigger than I thought. You, you see, evangelism, if we use that theme, or if we talk ministry, or whatever aspect the church is involved in, it's not based on the authority of the believer. It's not. It's based on the authority of Christ. Therefore, it cannot fail. Man can fail. Do we know that? Oh, yes. Man can fail in everything. Jesus can never fail. Never fail. See, we need to know... His authority. We need to know that. It's His authority. Here in Paul's prayer, he says, we need to know Him. We need to know Him. We need to know what we have, but we also need to know what He has. And that's the better picture. What He has. So he says, my prayer is that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, that's possibly because God made it so. Our eyes have been opened. He's given us that all that we need to understand this. And so, in this request, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, it's already been made possible so that you will know, and then jump right to the middle, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. That's what we want to know. What does he have? Let's break it down a little bit, and let's talk about it first as this word riches here. What are the riches 
of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Riches. Same word for wealth. Same word for abundance. And I really can't fathom it, to tell the truth. When we speak of the riches that belong to Christ, I can't fathom it. I try to come up with with concepts that I might be able to share with you to to give us a glimpse of of what we're trying to understand, the, the wealth of our Lord. And I think it'd be pretty much like trying to drink the ocean through a straw. How likely are we to get very far? When we try to measure in terms like this, the wealth, the abundance, do you know he never lacks? Never lacks. And if we're going out by his authority, how much is available to us that we might serve him? Too often we're hesitant. So, I don't know, that's going to be kind of pricey. That might be, a, uh, you know, beyond our, what we budgeted for. You know, we, we think in human terms, we think in limitations, because limitations are what we're used to, aren't we? We know what we have. But do we know what He has? We start speaking of riches, and it, it just goes beyond, you know, what we're accustomed to. But then we add the word glory to it. The riches of His glory. And that's not just a bright yellow light. The glory of Christ. I pulled up this uh, definition here on my page. It's uh, from Thayer's Greek Dictionary. He, he gives several points as to trying to define glory, and it's kind of hard at times to, to even wrap around that word. It speaks of an opinion, or a judgment, or a view. It speaks of an estimate, uh, of someone, generally, or something, but usually it's of someone. And uh, in the New Testament, it's always used in a positive way. You know why? Because it's mostly used of Christ. <laughs> but in that, it's used in a positive way uh, concerning the, the good opinion of him. And really, I think those are somewhat weak in the terms, because we also get the word praise and honor uh, and magnificence and excellence and preeminence and dignity and grace and majesty. You see, the list just keeps getting bigger and bigger uh, because we're trying to define glory. And all I've ever seen in the New Testament, when, when Christ appears in His glory, people are falling down on their face in front of Him. When He was transfigured there uh, on the mountain and Peter, James, and John were there, they spent the first few minutes breathing dirt. Face down, here he was in his glory. John the Apostle, who had seen him there, sees him again in Revelation, chapter number 1. Guess what he does first thing when he sees is Christ. Face down. I wonder what we're going to be like when we get to heaven. I always think there's going to be a lot of plopping sounds. People going face down when they see the glory of our Savior. How do you define such a thing? The glory, I mean, our words are weak. They they don't speak of what belongs to Him. The glory that belongs to Him. But we try, we use these words to say, this is His glory. We need to know what He has. Far too often we operate on our opinion of glory. Our limitation 
and understanding. We, we, we think of an opinion. We think of excellence. Excellence. What is excellence? We, we, in human terms, we have this, this mentality that this few people measure high in this or that, and the rest just kind of are average underneath it. So we call them excellent. <laughs> and they're really, they're not compared to this kind of a word. But that, that's the limitation we have. We approach this text. We say riches. We say glory. And yet we're speaking of our Savior. So the concepts have to be huge. Then we speak of inheritance. And inheritance is again a, a concept that has taken on human terminology in the sense that we know it's an estate that is given. In most cases, we figure that it's a result of somebody dying, right? It's part of the will. We receive an inheritance. We, we see it that way. And the Lord has an inheritance. The verse just told us that. It's his inheritance. The Lord has an inheritance. It's given to him by his father. But his father didn't have to die for him to get it. Actually, I think theologically it's proper to say, Jesus died in order to get it. That's an unusual approach. But it is significant to mark this word. Right in the middle of this verse, verse 18, what are the riches of the glory of, here's the word, His inheritance in the saints. His. I mark that word, uh, underscore it. His inheritance. Not your inheritance. Not my inheritance. His inheritance. This is what He has. And it's our desire to know this and know it perfectly. What does the Lord have? It's overwhelming in topic. It, it takes our breath away even to try to fathom it, to realize what it is that we are to know. Let, let me show you a picture. Um, keep your place here. I've got to put a mark in mine too. Go back to First Kings chapter 10. Way back in the Old Testament. First Kings chapter number 10. This is quite a scene. The day that the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon. I'll just start to read through the, the episode here for you. Starting in verse number 1. First Kings 10.1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage with camels carrying spices, very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him by all that was in her heart. I, I fathom, I, I try to fathom her approach here as she comes with this, this large group with her, with the camels, with the camels laden with spices and with, with gold and with precious stones. She came to impress him. <laughs> Maybe to rattle him a little bit. You know, somebody walks up into, into your, uh, you know, into your house to question you about how great you are in wisdom and such, and they come with everything that they have. That that might be very impressive. 
and maybe she was intending to rattle him here, and so she, she spoke to him about all that was on her heart. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire and his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was like a deflated football, huh? No more spirit in her. Overwhelmed with what she just saw. Overwhelmed. She said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came, and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are those who are your servants, who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Now, the response that she had, I didn't even see half of what you are. I was overwhelmed with what I saw. That's a small token of what we're trying to do here this morning. We're talking about the King of Glory here. We're talking about the Savior who has all and His glory is overwhelming anyway. But when we come and try to understand Him, I truly hope that it does take our breath away to realize how great He is. And the fact that He has an inheritance. And this inheritance, according to Ephesians, is particularly in his saints. We're not talking about a pile of gold, a pile of silver, the, the wealth of the nations. You know, Satan offered that to him. <laughs> he says, I'll give you all the wealth of all these kingdoms if you worship me. And I, could, I just use my wild imagination and think, Jesus, uh, is saying, but I already own all this. <laughs> it's already mine. I want to follow an order with you through several passages in Scripture. And what I want to point out as I go through this, you are his inheritance. Have you ever considered yourself to be of that kind of value? You are his inheritance. And I would, I would just kind of assume, maybe, that he was not aiming for gold. He was not aiming for silver. He was not aiming for wealth. He was aiming for you. For me. When he said, this is my goal. This is what I want. Father, Make my inheritance my saints. 
this is this is a picture that that really is quite beautiful. This is how God has rewarded him for what he accomplished on that cross. So let's go through some passages here and see how this develops in front of our eyes. Go first of all to Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, you're there. Philippians chapter number 2. Chapter number 2. As we follow through several passages, watch watch how it, it just shows the beauty of this whole thing. Here in Philippians 2 verse 6, we're speaking of Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's quite a scene. Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him, you can almost feel a crescendo coming on, can't you? God highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is that your knee too? Is that your tongue? Would you prefer to do that willingly or of necessity? It says every, every knee will bow. Some of those have never bowed before him and acknowledged him as Lord. Some of these tongues in this group have never said anything about his name except in a curse word. But it says every knee will bow, whether they want to or not. <laughs> every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I prefer to be on the side of those who want to do it. This is what he's done for us, and this is what God has done in response and highly exalting him and giving him this great name. Travel back to fifth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Not too many pages in front of Philippians here. 1 Corinthians 15. And, and aim for the middle, almost the middle of this section, verse 27. Verse 27. Again, this is, this is something God has done for His Son. It says in verse 27 and 28. He has put all things in subjection under His feet. How many things? All things. And when they say all things are put in subjection, it is evident that He is accepted, that means the Father, of course, who put all things in subjection to Him. But when all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him, so that God may be all in all. Now there's a verse that just kind of pops a few circuit breakers. Think of this. God has given it all to His Son. Given it all to His Son. And His Son has a plan. 
his son will take all of that and give it to his father. I can't wait to see that day. We'll be there. Wow, it just gives me goosebumps to think of it. When that great procession takes place when he comes before his father with everything and hands it to him because he loves his father and he has done all this for his father's namesake. Ooh, that's exciting. But this is what he says. I have subjected all things to you. All things are in subjection under his feet. That would be great. Wouldn't you love to have even half of that under your feet? Most people say, whoa, that'd be great to have authority over. He's got authority over all of it. Now, here's another passage I want to show you. Way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I'm going to walk you into the passages that most people scratch their head on. Because they say, I understand the first 12, or, you know, 12 verses maybe or so. But uh, these last couple of verses, they get a little, a little, you know, hard to understand. Isaiah 53, verse number 10. That's where I want to start and read right through the end of the chapter here. It says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Now, that's always been a, a, a phrase that has caught me off guard and made me think. The Lord was pleased to crush him. Wow, what a concept. Putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, watch these words, he will see his offspring... He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Aren't those intriguing words? A little confusing sometimes, but obviously there was something that the Lord meant to give him, right? A reward for his sacrifice. The Lord says, I'm pleased to crush you. I'm going to put you to grief. I'm going to render you as a guilt offering. And yet, in this, we've got an understanding, if we see it right. There's got to be a resurrection. For how do you crush somebody to death and they say, and when you're done with this, I'll give you a reward. <laughs> but he does, doesn't he? He says, and he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. What is he going to see? What is it that the Lord has for him? It's not done. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Who is he pointing at all of a sudden? You and me. Watch the context. It's great. Verse 12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong. That's a neat little picture. Here's a general who has just won the battle, and he's, he's sifting through the things that he, is, he has gleaned in that battle. The goods that have come from that battle. He's, he's going through those things. And what are they? Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. This is the picture that I'm putting together before you. He, he went through this, this crushing, this, 
this sacrifice, this offering. He gives himself the anguish of his soul and all these. And the Lord says to his son, he says, here is what I will give to you. I will give to you those who are redeemed by your blood. The many who are justified. The transgressors who are forgiven. The ones who have sinned, I will give to them. Give you, or give to you them as your reward. You will see them. You will be satisfied. Wow! He looks upon you and says, I'm satisfied. It cost his life to gain you. Right? It cost his life to gain you. We're his inheritance. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Look at yourself in the mirror sometime this afternoon. And say it. And say, whoa, really? I'm his inheritance? That's what the text says in Ephesians, right? His inheritance in the saints. We're not talking about money. We're talking about souls. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. This is God's plan. Back in Ephesians here, chapter 1, we saw this in verse number 9. I pulled out my bookmark. There it is. Okay. Chapter nine, or chapter 1, verse 9. He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. That's His plan. All things summed up together in Christ. And yet that's not the full picture of His inheritance as we see. Rather, I read to you his prayer before he even went to that cross. John 17 is a, a fascinating chapter. But there are three verses that just kind of pop right up off the page when I read through this prayer. The first thing he asked his father, John 17:5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Request number one, restore the glory that we know. Request number two, verse 22, jump down a little ways in the page. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Who are them? He's talking about his own disciples. And if you read the rest of the text, it's more than just the disciples. It's all those who will come to know Christ. He even says it in the text. But he says, this is what I, I want them for them. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just like we are one. I can't fathom that verse. Because it's a glory that goes beyond my comprehension. He intends to share it, folks. And then look at the next thing. He says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. His desire is right here. Be with me. Be with me. This is his inheritance. These, who he has bought with his blood, be with him. 
to be with Him. Add this to your understanding of Romans chapter number 8. We know these verses pretty well, but let's put it all together right here, and it's, the picture is just glorious. Romans 8, start in verse number 16. I'm going to read about five or so verses here. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Isn't that a great phrase? We are children of God. And if children, then we are what? Heirs. Heirs of who? Heirs of God. Mm. And fellow heirs, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Jump to verse 23. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. I want to ask just a simple thought. How, how eager are you to see the Lord? You say, well, that's a silly question. Most of the time we say, I'm eager to leave this world. I'm eager to be done with taxes. I'm eager to be done with arthritis. I'm eager to be done with trouble and work and all these other things. How often do we say, I'm eager to see the Lord. I'm eager to see Him. Paul says, I groan for that moment (laughs) when I shall be there to see this to share this, to be with Him. You see, this is the interesting thing about His inheritance. His inheritance in the saints is not just what He gains from His sacrifice in the sense of gaining you and gaining me, but what He shares with us when He has gained you and He has gained me. Folks, it's too big. I've run out of words to describe it. But this is not that we're going to sit in the amphitheater and watch him as he receives it. We're part of this that he is receiving. Now, what's the point? What's the value of knowing this? Why does Paul pray? Oh, I hope that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may know this. what's, What's the great thing about this? Let's talk it through. Whose inheritance must we know? His, right? Who, does the text say, is his inheritance? The saints. Take that word authority back into our picture. He possesses the inheritance. He has the influence. He has the privilege. He has the power. He has the will. And, oh, by the way, He's with us. <laughs> he's with us. 
Do you realize this? We are not paupers in this Christian life. We are not paupers in the Christian life. We are not paupers in Christian ministry. We are not. There are those who think that they need to gain a a stockpile of resources before they can serve. I know a man, a friend of mine, who greatly desired to serve the Lord. He wanted to go to places like Africa and Asia and other countries, especially those that were of... uh, had very little resources and people were living in poverty. He wanted to go to these places and he wanted to dig wells for communities so they had fresh water. He, he wanted to provide food and equipment and, and he wanted to feed babies. And his dreams were like, wow, that's fantastic. All that you have thought you'd like to do. He says, now, pray that the Lord would give me the funds to go. That's all he ever talked about. Pray that the Lord would give me the funds to go. That that was his only thing. He just kept saying, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting, that the Lord would just drop some money in his hand, I guess. But he waited, and waited, and waited. And all the while, the Lord possessed everything. He just had to go. He just had to go. You know people like that? Who had nothing, and they said, but I have Christ, I'm ready to go. And they went. And they went. Paul writes these words in Philippians. My God shall supply most of your needs. Oh, sorry. Uh, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How much is that? Incredible, isn't it? He is able, he says, to make all grace abound to you so that you always have sufficiency in everything, that you have abundance in every good deed, because he scatters abroad, and he gives to the poor, and his righteous endures forever, and he supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food. He will supply and he will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saint, but it is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. You know that's good to know. That's good to know. When you go about your day as if all that you are and all that you do is entirely dependent on you, Paul says, I want you to perfectly know that as you go about your day, all that you are and all that you do is entirely dependent on Him. On Him. The wealth is His. The abundance is His. The glory is His. The inheritance is His. The saints are His. Aren't you glad to be part of that group? Wow. Isn't this an exciting passage? This is what He has. This is what He has. This is God's investment in you and in me that we may have all that we need to serve Him. All that we need to serve Him. 
I know my time is, is up here. I have a, a cartoon in my mind. Disney produced these cartoons with a character called Scrooge McDuck. He's got this huge vault. It's a castle-sized thing. And it's just full of gold coins. And he's got a diving board. And he goes and he jumps in and swims in all those coins. I say, who? Boy, wouldn't that be kind of fun? Here's your invitation, folks. You just read of what Christ has. Jump in and see what that abundance is all about. <laughs> Swim around in the glory of what he has, what he has done, what he has brought about. I pray that the eyes of your heart is, are enlightened, that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Heavenly Father, this topic is too big for us. But you have given it to us that we may strive and struggle to understand it. And Lord, thank you for it. Even though I may not comprehend the full depth of an ocean and the, the way that the water just covers so much, I've seen the ocean. And Lord, though I may not understand the full depth of your glory and your wealth, your inheritance and what you've accomplished in me, and what you've brought about that we should come to know you, we do know that you have done this. And we rejoice in it. Thank you for letting us be a part of something so great. And train our hearts to look that way, like plants look for sunshine. Because that's where we get our nourishment for a day. That's where we get our, our, our supply for the job. That's where you... Step in and show us that you have everything, and we just need to depend on you. Retrain our hearts and our eyes and our wills to just go, because you have the authority. Teach us that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.